Hey everyone, happy Friday. Today is July 24th, 2020, and this is the Friday Top 5 on the Daily Blend Show with me, Reed Daily. So the way that this works is every Friday I put five stories that I thought were interesting, notable, or culturally significant. So this week we've got some really interesting stuff from Harvard Business Review on a working remote and the implications this has on individuals and businesses. Then we move on to stories about SiriusXM and their acquisition of the Stitcher platform. Also, the fact that Salesforce is now larger than Oracle, which I find is very interesting. We'll talk about kind of how they got there and why it matters. Next, we're actually going to cover another podcast. Yes, we're doing that. We're covering a podcast on a podcast. And this one is with the CEO of Capgemini Invent and Fahrenheit 212, Todd Rovac. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Hopefully I am. And it's really going to dive into sort of the context of the podcast and sort of what people can think or take away from that. And then the last story for this week is really talking about, you know, the rise of Tesla and sort of its current market value and how the head of Dean Evaluations at NYU is very bullish on the message, but not necessarily the stock and what other leaders can kind of gain insights from kind of how Tesla goes to market. As always, this podcast can get downloaded, accessed, streamed, subscribed to on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, and of course, dailyblend.com. All right, so let's jump into the show. So I wanted to maybe kick the full show off with saying, All of the notes and sort of links that I describe are on dailyblend.com on the actual post. I'm also going to embed them into the show notes. So if you're on an iPhone or Android, you just sort of scroll up on the um, podcast details and you can see it. All right, so the first story is from Harvard Business Review, and it really talks about the implications of this elastic working environment on organizations. And I think, you know, the first couple of weeks were very difficult for, I'll call it non-technology savvy individuals to figure out Teams, Meets, Google Hangouts, whatever your kind of connect du jour is for meeting and collaborating. But for the most part, most organizations have stitched together ways to do basic operations. And I really think it's around execution. When you think about it, right? Coming up with spontaneous new ideas is somewhat challenging, right? So oftentimes there is the meeting in the hallway, uh, in the meeting after the meeting, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting or run in when you're coming and going from the office. And I think the best uh, examples of this that I've heard about are when Pixar was building their facility, they strategically made very few doorways to go in and out. They wanted to force human interaction with uh, teammates because you run into someone and you have that spark of idea and say, oh, hey, uh, you know, I thought of this after you said that and let's go talk about it and whiteboard it out. Now, obviously, you can do some of this remote and whiteboarding and sort of ideating as possible, but you don't really have those same run-ins. And I think Right now, the way that you can sort of work around this is when you have sort of, I'll call it an all-hands meeting or large group settings, you can do breakout sessions where you could do the musical chairs of rotating, you know, the same uh, different people will jump from room to room and you kind of collaborate that way and come up with ideas 
You could also sort of look at your organization chart. Say you have 20 people, just make sure that, you know, all 20 people you're getting 15 minutes a week or every couple weeks, just talking to them about fresh ideas. You know, it's kind of almost like the 80-20 rule that Google deployed of 20% of your time can be devoted to sort of your non-job tasks. You almost need to take that sort of approach for coming up with fresh ideas in this elastic environment. Now, what I'll be very interested is if tech companies can come up with a standalone solution or a bolt-on solution. I can't speak for all of them, but many companies can do data mining of emails and email traction. And so what would be very cool is if your company could look across your emails and chats and basically find different ways or, or different ways to slice that information and say, hey, these three people are talking about the same things you're talking about. By the way, you have a gap on your calendar on Tuesday uh, you know, at noon, and we're going to book 30 minutes of your time with these people to talk about this topic. Now, that would just be fantastic if that just happened. And obviously, a lot of things have to come into place for that to happen, but I think that would be my ideal future state. All right, let's jump into story number two. SiriusXM is acquiring Stitcher Radio. For those who are less familiar, Stitcher Radio is a platform that houses podcasts like this one and many others. And I think SiriusXM has really looked at what's been happening in the market landscape with Apple going out and buying shows or creating their own content. Spotify's been on a tear buying Joe Rogan's podcast for 100 million dollars as the most notable one but they've been going after other ones and Sirius bought Stitcher Radio for 265 million dollars. So what does this really do? First of all it can be a defensive play in that they don't want Spotify or another service like a Pandora or Apple Music maybe even Tidal to go out and buy them. It also gives them access um, and a platform uh, to distribute content. So they get access to the talent that's already using the platform to produce and distribute their, their shows, and it, they get access to the individuals that consume that content. I'm sure SiriusXM looked at the Stitcher radio and said this is uh, an untapped asset. We can um, find new ways to create new content, new ways to monetize it, and give brand extension off of their platform. What I find is really interesting is if you think back to like, I think it was around 2000 when uh, Howard Stern left terrestrial radio and went to Sirius and, and how folks were freaking out. And it took Howard Stern a couple of years, I think, to really rebuild some of his audience on the platform. But these sort of synergies of platforms or where there's one or two kind of rising stars can really help launch or catapult uh, a platform to the next level. And I'm guessing that's what Sirius is looking at as folks are likely going to want um, more podcasts and more content. Um, not that this is necessarily part of this story, but one thing I do want to keep in mind on is the fact that Apple Play and Google Play are now both in the majority of cars. So I'm very curious if terrestrial radio and even satellite radio is going to become sort of a dying breed. I mean, I know when I jump in a car that has Apple CarPlay, I just immediately have my phone and I turn on a podcast and everything's controlled off of my phone and I'm not really messing around with either Sirius or 
the terrestrial radio. So I wonder if Sirius is sort of seeing the writings on the walls and is trying to expand, you know, their reach and, and possibly transition some of their show content from the satellite over to the Stitcher radio platform in fear that folks aren't going to want to pay that extra 15 or $20 a month subscription or whatever it is for Sirius. Just something to keep an eye out, something I'm very interested in. The third story comes in that Salesforce has finally eclipsed Oracle in market cap value. For those less familiar, the CEO of Salesforce used to be an employee at Oracle, cited Larry from CEO of Oracle as his mentor, and then they had a big falling out. And I just found it very interesting that this was a data point. Always curious if this was research done or if Salesforce was tooting their own horn with some native advertising. Either way, it led me to the story and kind of looking at some of the data points of how Salesforce got there. So if you look, they purchased Tableau for $15 billion, MuleSoft for six point five. Uh, exact target for 2.5, Crux for 800, Quip for 700, Buddy Media for 650, and the list goes on and on. And if you look at where Salesforce has really been successful, it's the acquisition of these assets and then rolling them into their portfolio in a very seamless manner that a lot of them will work interchangeably with their CRM platform, which is sort of their flagship product, but also that they give them sort of a UI, UX upgrade and sort of aligns to the Salesforce language. And I think the biggest thing that organizations can sort of glean from this, both on the software side as well as sort of M&A, is when you make these acquisitions, you have to make it sort of seamless to the end user. And the end user has to appreciate and understand why this acquisition was made and how it actually benefits them and and that there's a common design language. And I think so many software companies fall very short on this. And you go and look at the recent Salesforce WebExes or whatever they're calling it um, on salesforce.com that was announced this week really showing their brand extensions of their uh, flagship product with their CRM and looking at how they've implemented their uh, contact tracing uh, service into their CRM platform, how they're engaging text messaging with their CRM platform. I think you're just seeing the their full understanding that design thinking and human engagement is critical to building a software. It can't just be feature rich, but it also has to work with your natural workflow and be visually appealing. And so many companies get this wrong. And I think they're doing a great job of getting it right. All right, our fourth story is actually a story about another podcast. And I know that is quite ironic. Um, and I mentioned this in the show intro. I hope I'm saying Todd Rovac's last name correctly. I think I am. So the podcast really is uh, about UPenn alumni and connecting with them about their experiences and how they got where they were. And I'm, I'm very interested in Todd's journey because I think it's one that leads to what I call the modern consultant, someone that understands you know, both core consulting, kind of the business, but also has sort of a creative lens to it. And when you listen to the episode, he really has two quotes that hit home for me, the money and the magic, great customer experience, but business model behind it. And some context to this quote and where it was coming from. So Todd and his team were engaged to build the Coke freestyle machine. And for those who have probably seen it at your local Chick-fil-A or wherever you get your fast food, 
it's the machine of choice, right? Literally, you can do any sort of product inside of the Coke uh, catalog and it spits out your drink. If you've ever be, been behind a small child who's using this machine, it is very painful because they just start hitting buttons. But back to the, uh, the sort of story here. So it was really saying that this was a fantastic user experience, but it's critical that companies get the business model or have a business model behind it that works. And I think when we look at so many of these startup companies, they've got a great idea and a lot of flash, but they don't necessarily have a strong business model behind it that can sustain it. In the case of Coke, they knew that they had great products, they knew they had a supply chain, and what this Coke Freestyle machine does is just allows them to tweak their uh, data, or it gives them the data rather, and then they can tweak their supply chain and get the right product to a very specific niche market. So you can almost go into sort of town level details and say on town X, they like you know 30% more Coke Zero than town Y, or Cherry Coke's more popular in this town. And I think that's really interesting that you know you use you know a very strong customer experience to get at data and building a great product behind it. The second quote that I really liked out of the podcast was that teaching others was the unlock. And I find this really interesting. Um, his message was as you the second quote I really liked was that teaching others was the unlock for him. And he goes on to say that you know as you increase your competencies and kind of progress in your career, you end up having domain expertise and people come to you and you have a lot of projects to work on and that feels really great, kind of pound your chest as, as you will as a consultant. But over time, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day and you're better suited by figuring out what you know, standardized to scale, or just teaching others how to do it so that you can move on to other tasks or other things. And I find this really interesting in sort of a professional services organization, certainly in a non-professional services organization, this makes a lot of sense too. The only added layer I would add to this is really the standard to scale. And that's the biggest thing for me is, is when you're trying to do things, it's looking what are the, the ways that we can sort of maximize our efficiencies here to get the task done. And this can be anything from the framework you use to ideate and create a new idea to the way you plan or execute or evaluate. So the podcast, I think, was about 12 to 15 minutes, about similar lengths to this show. It was a great little listen. I think if you are in professional services or in an organization that has a lot of individuals coming together and working on projects, it was very much a good listen to someone who's clearly demonstrated competencies in understanding problems and being able to provide frameworks and solve problems effectively in different areas. It's in from CNBC featuring the Stern School of Business Dean Evaluations talking about how Tesla has benefited from COVID due to the fact they have streamlined operations, modern systems, where some of their competitors on the sort of traditional engines for GM, et cetera, have not. And he goes in to talk about market cap and market valuations. But what I want to do is take a little bit different lens on his sort of reporting and talk about how the business of hype or wow factor for some of these more consumer-led brands has helped catapult the value of the company in the eyes of the public up. And I'd like to almost take a look at some of the leadership frameworks that 
Musk is using to drive awareness of his products and roadmap and sort of the hype train he's on and, and can sort of other organizations benefit from, you know, analyzing sort of his hype train or wow factor to creating a bit of excitement both in terms of the end user as well as the stakeholders within organizations. And is this really achievable in a non sort of consumer-led product um, space. That concludes this week's edition of the Friday Top 5. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow us. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course at dailyblend.com. That's D-A-I-L-E-Y-B-L-E-N-D.com. And you can find me, Reed Daily, pretty much everywhere. The name is spelled different as well. It's R-E-D. D-A-I-L-E-Y, and I'm at Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And I look forward to connecting with you online, on the web, and hopefully soon in person. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Talk soon.